Good morning, church. Our scripture reading this morning is Genesis 15, verses 1 through 6. After this, the word of the Lord came to Abram in a vision. Do not be afraid, Abram. I am your shield, your very great reward. But Abram said, Sovereign Lord, what can you give me since I remain childless? And the one who will inherit my estate is Eliezer of Damascus. And Abram said, You have given me no children, so a servant in my household will be my heir. Then the word of the Lord came to him. This man will not be your heir, but a son who is your own flesh and blood will be your heir. He took him outside and said, Look up at the sky and count the stars, if indeed you can count them. Then he said to him, So shall your offspring be. Abram believed the Lord, and he credited it to him as righteousness. This is the word of the Lord for us. How many of you guys remember the game show Deal or No Deal? Have you, have you guys remember that? For those that don't remember or haven't seen it, it is a contestant who's trying to take home the cash prize, of course, as always, in the form of a briefcase. And so the contestant chooses a briefcase. I believe there are 26 of them, each with varying amounts of money. And the, of, of course, the uh, one briefcase has a million dollars in it. And so the contestant chooses a briefcase, not knowing what amount they have in their briefcase. And they then begin to eliminate briefcase, other briefcases, again, with unknown amounts of money, eliminate them from the game. And then occasionally the phone rings, right? Remember that? And who's calling? The banker. The banker is on the phone calling and the banker makes an offer like I'll give you this amount of money, you can take it and walk away from the game. And so the contestant then has to decide, do I, do I take the banker's offer? Do I turn it down hoping to get more? <laughs> and so they, they may refuse the banker's offer, and if they get all the way to the end of the game, and they haven't made any deals with the banker, right, deal or no deal, then they get whatever amount is in their briefcase. And one of the briefcases, I should say, has one penny. And so uh, in this game show, you're trying to make a deal and stressful (laughs) because you don't know. There's an element of uncertainty here. And it seems to me that the banker in this situation is really trying to come up with an agreement that's just going to be agreeable to all. Like it's not going to break the bank. They don't want it. The banker doesn't want to lose the million, but the banker is trying to come up with an agreement here that's like it's suitable for both parties and get the contestant to agree to it. Well, the reason I mention that is because in today's Bible story from Genesis 15, we see a deal or no deal situation. It's the Lord making a deal with Abram, this great patriarch of the faith. No, he doesn't bring a suitcase with an unknown amount of money. No, there are no commercial breaks, okay? So the the illustration breaks down, I guess. But we see a deal being struck between God and Abram. A binding covenant between these two. And as we look into that this morning and understand it more fully, what we see is a beautiful picture of the price Jesus will pay to cover our sin. And so we're going to learn this morning that the Lord is inviting each of us, as he did Abram, into a covenant relationship with him. And that's good news. 
So let me introduce myself. I'm John. I'm thrilled that you're with us this morning. I'm praying that through our time together, your heart and home grow stronger in the Lord. We're continuing on with our sermon series called Father Abraham. We're walking through the life of this great patriarch. Again, we're going to be in Genesis chapter 15 this morning. I hope you brought your Bible with you. But before God's covenant with Abraham in Genesis 15, there were others. And this isn't going to be the last covenant that God makes with humanity either. So I thought for the first few minutes this morning here, we could nerd out a little bit doing a a quick, brief biblical overview of covenants in scripture. So there are seven covenants in the Bible, seven covenants leading up to, in fact, you can even make a case for these covenants kind of building upon one another, culminating in a seventh and final covenant, which we call the new covenant in Christ. And this is the perfect and lasting covenant. In the Bible, the number seven is the number of completion. It's the number of perfection. And so the new covenant in Christ is the seventh and perfect and final covenant. So let's go all the way back to the Garden of Eden. Genesis chapters one and two. This is what we call the Eden covenant, the Eden covenant from the opening chapters of Genesis, where God makes promises about humans and the created order, like humanity, you have dominion over the animals. That's part of that covenant in Eden. Uh, Humanity, be fruitful and multiply is part of that covenant. Now, I do want to point out that uh, in those those chapters in the first uh, parts of Genesis, it's not specifically called a covenant, but we understand it to be so because later in scripture, it's called a covenant. Like Hosea chapter 6 and verse 7 specifically calls that a covenant. And so we understand that to be the first covenant that we call the Eden covenant. The second is the Adam covenant. This is Genesis chapter 3 and it happens after the fall. There's going to be pain in childbirth. There are going to be thistles and thorns that grow on the ground. Death has now entered into the equation. Like death is now an inescapable reality for all living things. But Genesis chapter 3, verse 15, part of the covenant with Adam is this good news, what we call kind of the first reference to the gospel, where an offspring of the woman, God says, an offspring of the woman will crush the head of the serpent. So the Eden covenant, the Adam covenant, the third one is the Noah covenant that God establishes with Noah after the flood. That's in Genesis chapter 9. Uh, Lord says, I'm never going to flood or destroy humanity with a flood ever again, right? Remember, he sets the rainbow in the sky to say, this is a sign of that covenant. He says, again, you are to be fruitful and multiply. That's part of God's covenant with humanity. Again, he mentions, he, he then also talks about the Lord establishes, there will now be consequences for violence and bloodshed. So if you, if you, Uh, shed the blood of another human, then there will be a punishment. There will be consequences for that, for those who act in violence. Okay, fourth covenant is the one we're covering today, the covenant with Abraham. We see this as a central covenant in these seven. Uh, Literally, figuratively, we have three before it, we have three after it. It's placed in in a prominent spot, very central. This is one of the most important ones, by the way, for us to understand um, in light of the new coming covenant Because it speaks of, this covenant, of course, speaks of the promised land. 
the inheritance. It is a foreshadowing of God's master plan of salvation to bring his people into eternal paradise with him. And so it's the inheritance for the people of God, the fact that the whole world will be blessed through this particular family line. So that's what we're going to get into this morning. But so then the fifth is covenant with Moses. God establishes this in Exodus um, at, at Mount Sinai after he led the people out of slavery. It's where the Lord gives them the law to govern them, to shape and inform and influence his people. The sixth is with David. Second Samuel chapter seven, God promises very specifically a descendant of David will reign over king as king of the Jews. A, a Messiah is going to come as a deliverer for his people. So those are the first six, all in the Old Testament. The new covenant, of course, we understand from the New Testament is the new covenant in Christ. It is a promise that God will forgive sin because of Jesus. That God will welcome into covenant relationship all who call on him. Jesus talks about this in the New Testament, like in Luke 22. He's at the Last Supper He's serving the bread and the cup. He says, this cup is the new covenant in my blood, which is poured out for you. So the, again, the new covenant, the seventh and final, is the promise that because of Christ's death and resurrection, each person can receive salvation as a free gift by the grace of God as we put our faith in Jesus. Okay, so hope you brought your Bible with you. Genesis chapter 15. Uh, last week we talked, we went through chapters 13 and 14. Again, we're going through the life of this patriarch, Abram. Do you remember last week? It was Abram and Lot, the nephew and the uncle, and they decided to separate ways and Lot chooses the best land for himself. Uh, he's disrespectful and disregarding to his uncle only to be captured. He pitches his tents near Sodom. He kind of makes a mess of his life. He's captured by the enemy. Remember, Abram gets together 318 of his trained men. They go on this daring nighttime rescue mission, and they retrieve Lot and all of his possessions and all of his servants. Uh, we didn't get into the specifics of what happens at the very end of that, but the king of Sodom comes and is offering Abram all of the goods. And if you do a close read there, you see Keterleomer had been conquering towns and villages and peoples and stealing all of their goods. He was plundering them. And it says when Abram retrieved Lot, he retrieved all the goods. So we're talking he actually had access to treasures and troves and riches, but he doesn't, he doesn't take them. He says, you're never going to say that you made Abram rich. So he says, I don't want it. So he, does, he doesn't take those riches. So he goes back home, Genesis chapter 15, verse 1, after this. So, here's, so after this is referring to the events that we just talked through. After the daring rescue of Lot and retrieval of all the possessions, but then refusal to keep those things. After this, it says, the word of the Lord came to Abram in a vision, and he says, Do not be afraid, Abram. I am your shield, your very great reward. You turned down the earthly riches, but you just gained heavenly riches. But isn't it interesting that he tells Abram to not be afraid? Why would Abram be afraid? We, we talked about it this last week in the sermon, and then in Sunday school, we had a great time talking through this. 80 years old, and he just says, suit up, boys. We got to go rescue Lot. I mean, it is this amazing story. Like, you don't necessarily see fear in him in that story, but when he gets home, I wonder if Abram starts to think, well, Keter Laomer's going to get word that it was just me and 318 guys. 
he could potentially rally his forces and come after us. And if he attacks us, we're going to be in trouble. Maybe Abram is starting to think this could end up badly for me. He could, he could realize that he just got bested by me as this sort of wandering tent-dwelling farmer. <laughs> and now what am I going to do if he comes after me? So I wonder if Abram was struggling with those what-ifs because God says to him, fear not, do not be afraid. I am your shield. By the way, this is the first time in Scripture we see the command from the Lord, do not be afraid. But oh, it's not the last time, is it? <laughs> we're going we're gonna to see God say this to Abram's son, Isaac. We're going to see God say this to Abram's grandson, Jacob, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. He said to each of those men, do not be afraid. And he says it all throughout the scripture. Do not be afraid. It's the most frequent command in all of the Bible. And the Lord is reminding Abram of this great truth. And this is a truth for us today as well. And that is that God protects his people. He protects his people. You see, Abram only won the nighttime raid, that daring rescue we talked about last Sunday, because the Lord was with him. He only won it because God was with him. And now he can trust that he has a shield protecting him that no army can pierce. But you know, sometimes it's after our greatest victories that we fall into the deepest despair. We come down from the mountaintop of emotion and victory into this place of discouragement and despair. You remember, we, remember the story of Elijah with this great showdown? We, we preached about this. We did this series on the prophets, Elijah and Elisha. He has this showdown with 450 false prophets of Baal in which he is just powerful in victory. But right after that, we see him fleeing for his life, running into the wilderness, under the broom tree, suicidal, done, discouraged. He falls into an emotional pit. Sometimes you go straight from the mountaintop into the valley. You're all amped up maybe on a mission trip. You've seen God working. You've never felt closer to the Lord. You're part of a team of people that's caring for each other and serving together and on mission together. And then you get home. And you're physically exhausted. You haven't quite got enough sleep. You're, 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 you've been running on fumes, so you're physically exhausted, and all of a sudden you realize you're just back to your normal surroundings. And you miss the thrill, and you miss the people, and you start to feel down. Genesis 15.1, my friend. The Lord says to you, do not be afraid. I am your shield, your very great reward. You see, the goal of going on that mission trip was never to get a nice feeling because you did good deeds. And, and that's the problem, is I, I was on the, the emotional mountaintop of feeling really good because I did good deeds. And now I'm in the pit of despair. The goal of going and serving is to be obedient and to grow in Christ and to, to follow his commands, to serve the least of these. And as we know, and as we sing here at MCA, the God of the mountain is the God of the valley. He is with you. He will protect you. In Elijah's case, remember, he needed a nap and a snack. His, his, his remedy was pretty quick and pretty easy. Just get some rest. Get, get a, and it was like, there's more for you to do. 
So it's time for you to get some rest, get some nutrition and get back at it. Get strengthened because the Lord is not done with you. I think the Lord says the same for each and every one of us today. So don't be crippled with the fear or the what ifs or the what might happen. Trust that he will protect you, that he is your shield against attack, that he is your reward. And maybe you have doubts about how God's going to come through, about how God's going to figure this out, the challenge that you're facing. Well, that's okay because Abram did too. So let's continue reading because we see him questioning and doubting here. We're in Genesis chapter 15. Look at verse 2. But Abram said, Sovereign Lord, what can you give me since I remain childless? He's reminding God that all sounds good and well, but I'm 80 years old and I don't even have a boy. So then he says, uh, I remain childless. The one who's going to inherit my state is Eliezer of Damascus. And Abram says, you've given me no children. A servant in my household is going to be my heir. This is a custom of their day. That the, the highest ranking servant uh, in your household would receive your entire estate if you had no children. And Abram here, he's just trying to figure this thing out. God has made these promises. And Abram is saying, Lord, you're sovereign, but I don't understand. Because... This guy is going to get my estate. And I don't want to miss this. That in this, these, these verses, the ones Christy read for us, the Lord and Abram, this great man of faith, have a conversation. They talk. So Abram says, I don't get it. How can this be? I don't have any children. And God doesn't zap him right where he's at. Oh, you doubted me. Boom. God doesn't rebuke him and say, oh, ye of little faith, how could you possibly question? The Lord comes to him. Verse 4. And, and, and even though Abram doesn't quite get it, he wants to understand and catch this. He is listening. The word of the Lord came to him. This man will not be your heir, but a son who is your own flesh and blood will be your heir. The Lord takes him outside and says, look up at the sky and count the stars. If indeed you can count them. And he says to him, so shall your offspring be. They have a conversation. Abram is doubting. Abram is questioning. Abram is saying, how can this be? What can you do? I don't even have a son. And the Lord makes it clear. No, it's not that servant of yours that you're thinking is going to get it. You will have a son. Look at the stars. Your, your offspring will be that many. And look at verse six, my friends. Abram believed the Lord. And he credited it to him as righteousness. Doubt is not the opposite of faith. Sometimes we get twisted up on that. And we think, I can either have faith or I can doubt. That's not correct. Doubt is not the opposite of faith. Unbelief is the opposite of faith. And doubt is often the tension that leads us to even greater faith. When we talk with the Lord as Abram does here. When we say, Lord, I don't understand. Lord, I have doubts about me. And yes, I have doubts about you. When we say, I, God, I don't see how this is going to work out. Or God, what is the purpose in this? Please, please, God. 
Help me understand you. Help me understand your ways. And, and you, see, you see in those prayers and in that conversation, there is a humility before the Lord. There is an openness to asking the Lord what he's doing. This is very different from the person who shakes their fist at the heavens and declares, oh, why is this happening to me? God, you just must be a cruel and angry God, or you don't exist at all. This is very different. It is a genuine humility and openness before the Lord. We're all going to walk through seasons that are dark and hard and heavy, seasons of doubt, seasons of struggle. But here's another great point for us this morning. God is faithful to his people. He was faithful to Abram even through this season. Listen, the Lord keeps his promises. <laughs> he wants what is best for us. He has a good and perfect plan for your life. And what happens next in Abram's story is that the Lord demonstrates his faithfulness in a really dramatic way, and it is through the covenant. And so I want to get into that. I want to I jump down to verse 7 to see the covenant, the, the deal or no deal situation between God and Abram. So Genesis chapter 15, uh, verse 7, he also said to him, I am the Lord who brought you out of Ur of the Chaldeans to give you this land to take possession of it. But Abram said, sovereign Lord, how can I know that I will take possession of it? Again, in those verses, we see this dialogue, this conversation, this humility. It's a season of doubting and trying to figure it out and going to the Lord with those things. And so verse 9, so the Lord said to him, bring me a heifer a goat and a ram, each three years old, along with a dove and a young pigeon. It says, Abram brought all these to him, cut them in two, and arranged the halves opposite each other. The birds, however, he didn't cut in half. He knew what to do with the creatures. God didn't give the, the specific instructions, or at least we don't have record of that. He knew what was happening here. He knew it's a deal or no deal situation, and this is an ancient way Again, Abram was familiar with this custom. It's a way of making an agreement with someone else, a covenant. In fact, the word covenant basically means cutting. And so it, it's, a, it's, a, it's a cutting where the two parties bring an animal, in this case multiple animals, they cut them in two, and then the two parties meet in the middle. So you walk between the, the animals, the parts of the animals. You, you meet in the middle to seal the deal. Ever heard the phrase, cutting a deal? It comes from this practice. When we say we're going to cut a deal, this is exactly what it comes from. This ancient practice of you split the animal in two. You put the two halves opposite each other. And the two parties entering into the agreement meet in the middle to seal the deal. It is a binding contract. And I want to clarify, uh, maybe some of you are not, you're like, well, what does this even mean? Why, why the animals and stuff? So here, here's the symbolism. Here, here's what it means. There's a bloody half carcass of, of a dead animal that's just been sliced up. And what you are saying is, if I break my end of the deal, if I fail to live up to my agreement here, may I be, as this animal. Serious business. It's serious business. And so that, that was the symbolism. That's why it's called a cutting or a covenant. It is to say, just as we have destroyed and annihilated and mutilated and sliced up these animals, so may I be if I don't live up to my end of the agreement. It is a binding contract. And so the Lord wants Abram to know 
I keep my word. He, he wants Abram to know, I am faithful to my people. I, I am going to do all the things that I have said I will do. You can trust me. I'm going to give you the land. I'm going to give you offspring, as numerous as the stars. And then Abram falls asleep. So he can't meet the Lord halfway. He's asleep. The text says that a thick and dreadful darkness came over him. So it was more than just a nap. This is really what happens here is the presence of the Lord was powerful in that place. And it was overwhelming to Abram. And so here's what happens. The Lord is there. The Lord comes in a powerful way. And the Lord himself goes the full length between the animals. He doesn't meet him halfway as their custom was. The Lord walks the first half, and the Lord walks the second half, the entire way. He wants Abram to know, I'm going to do this, and I'm taking it on myself. Let's look at verse 17. So we're in Genesis chapter 15. It says, when the sun had set and darkness had fallen, a smoking fire pot with a blazing torch appeared. This is not the only place, by the way, in Scripture where God appears as, as this. So this is the presence of the Lord. It says, it passed between the pieces. The whole length. Verse 18, on that day, the Lord made a covenant with Abram. And he said, to your descendants, I give this land. From the wadi of Egypt to the great river, the Euphrates. He has given the land to Abram's descendants. And he doesn't even have a son yet. <laughs> He wants Abram to know with certainty, as he wants you and I to know it this morning, that God is faithful to his people, that he is faithful to his word. And then he gives very specific details in this. In this. So Abram, again, he's, in this, uh, he's sleeping. He's in this state of you know, thick darkness. Uh, the Lord gives Abram the prophecy here that for 400 years in a foreign land, your descendants will be slaves. He gives them the specific boundary lines for the promised land. And so the matter is now settled. God has entered into agreement with Abram. He's gone the full length between the rendered animals. The land belongs to Abram. It will be passed down through the generations. And you know the rest of the story that, that, that that's what happens. Why? Because God is faithful to his word. Because what God says is what happens. And we can trust that. We can believe that. And I want you to hear that this morning. That God will never fail you. God will never leave you. He always keeps his promises. He always comes through. The question is, will you be like Abram and believe? See, that's our part in the equation. It's not to meet God halfway. Okay, this is a 50-50 deal. I do my part, God does his part. No, God does, God does it all. Our part is to believe. Will we be like Abram and believe? Because for those who trust him, for those who walk in covenant relationship with him, here's our third point for this morning. God sets his people apart. When we put our trust in him, when we walk in obedience to him, then it's not life as we know it. Plus now God's in the equation. That's not how it works. It is your life given over entirely and completely to him. He is king. He is Lord. He's in charge. When he says, go to the land I will show you, you pack your bags. When he says, share the good news or serve the least or give it away, we do it. And we do it with joy because we belong to him. 
Because we, we believe Him and we want to serve Him. We're walking in relationship with Him and we understand this truth that God's heart and desire is that we be set apart. That we don't imitate the world or look or sound like the world, but that we have been chosen and that God is working in our lives. Let me just say this. If your life looks the exact same as before you knew Christ, then I wonder how has the Lord led you? If your life looks the exact same as before you knew Christ, how is it that God is leading you? Because if it's all the exact same, then boy, you have got things figured out, don't you? You know what you should do with your life, and you know the difference between right and wrong, and you know what's best. But when your life is given over to his lordship, he directs you. He changes your priorities. What does it mean for you to be a follower of Jesus? What does that mean? What does it mean for him to be in control of your life? The scriptures say, therefore, if anyone is in Christ, they are a new creation. It says the old is gone. The ways we used to think, the ways we used to spend, the ways we used to talk, gone. The new has come. Why? Because we are now in Christ. I will say, as we're talking about this covenant with Abram, we learn more about it in chapter 17. Uh, you can flip over to chapter 17 in your Bibles. We won't walk through the entire chapter, but uh, this is where the Lord changes his name. And so he is no longer Abram. He is now Abraham. Why? Because God's in control of his life. And so when God says, hey, go down to the social security office and apply for a name change, he says, all right, I'm on my way. And when someone says, Hey, Abram. And he says, no, 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 no. It's Abraham. They go, Abraham? He goes, yeah. They, Why? Well, the Lord told me. The Lord? Oh, let me tell you. He's the one who created the heavens and the earth. He's the one who called me when I was all the way back in Ur and set me on this journey. He's the one who guided me in that nighttime raid and gave me victory over. Ever heard of Keter Laomer? Oh, yeah. I defeated him. How did you do that? Because of the Lord, the one I'm telling you about. It's like his life was lived out for God because he was living under the authority and the leadership and the lordship of Almighty God. God sets his people apart. God wants to set you apart. Are you listening for his voice? Are you seeking his direction? Are you eager to joyfully and enthusiastically serve him and walk in obedience to him and live out his plan and his promises in your life? Or are you like the people that Abram used to hang out with back in Ur? And they're sitting in their hot tubs <laughs> and they're going, why would you ever leave here? This is like the pinnacle of, of humanity right now. We have all the latest inventions and all the luxuries and comforts. Why would you ever go? And I think if we were to ask Abraham about this, he would say, I'm not going to miss out. Yeah, I could have stayed in the hot tubs. I could have stayed at home, but I'm not going to miss out on God as my shield. God as my very great reward. Yeah, I'm living in tents. And building altars, remember, as everywhere he goes, he's building an altar and calling on the name of the Lord. But I'm defeating kings. And I'm encountering the God of the universe. 
And I don't think he would have traded that for anything. And I don't think we should either. Abram was a changed man. He's now Abraham. Uh, His wife is a changed woman. She's no longer Sarai. She is now Sarah. And the Lord gives them, uh, while we're in chapter 17, the Lord gives them a sign of this covenant. Let's read uh, starting verse 9. It says, Then God says to Abraham, As for you, you must keep my covenant. Notice it's not keep your covenant. It's not live up to the promises you've made and vowed before me. It's keep my covenant. I'm calling you to obedience. I'm doing it. I'm accomplishing it. I went the full length between the animals and now I'm asking you to walk with me and to obey me. So the Lord says, keep my covenant. He says, you and your descendants after you for generations to come. This is my covenant with you and your descendants after you, the covenant you are to keep. And then he says, every male among you must be circumcised. You are to undergo circumcision. It will be a sign of the covenant between me and you. This is another way of God setting his people apart. You're going to be different. You're not going to look like everybody else. You're not going to sound like everybody else. I have chosen you. I have selected you. It's going to be through this family. He chooses the one man, Abram, who's now well along in years, still doesn't have a son. But it is through this family, through Abraham, that the Lord is going to bless the whole world. Because God has promised him a son. No, no, it's not going to be the servant of yours who's just going to get your entire estate when you die. It's going to be your son. And as we talk about the covenant of Abraham this morning, we do so in light of the new covenant in Christ. So no, we're not under this covenant any longer. We have relationship with God under the new covenant in Christ. One where the Lord promises eternal life. He promises the forgiveness of sins. Thank you, Lord. Because we've all messed up. We have all done wrong. And what's our part? Is it to then be perfect and and to never mess up again and to always do right? No, it's to believe. Abram believed God. And it was credited to him as righteousness. It's not our righteousness. It is our belief in the righteous one. So we believe, we have faith, we we trust in Jesus. He's the only one that could pay the penalty for our sins. We have this teaching then in the New Testament. Hebrews chapter 9 speaks into it. Verse 15, for this reason, Christ is the mediator of a new covenant. That those who are called may receive the promised eternal inheritance. No, it's not that land between the Wadi of Egypt and the great river Euphrates. That The the, the holy land, the, the land given to Abraham and his descendants, it is a picture, it is a foreshadowing of an eternal inheritance in paradise. We may receive the promised eternal inheritance now that he has died as a ransom to set them free from sins committed under the first covenant. And so this morning, as we reflect on God's covenant with Abram, you realize it's a picture of the gospel. It was the Lord who passed between the animals, not Abraham. We can't earn salvation. We don't meet God halfway. He is the one that's mighty to save. He is the one that's faithful in all he does. And it's Jesus and what he accomplished on the cross. Doing what we could never do. And think about that. Jesus left the comforts of heaven. He humbled himself. He was obedient to death. And do you remember what happened as Jesus was being crucified? 
a great, thick, terrible, heavy darkness came upon the face of the earth. Just like in this story. Only this time, it wasn't because there were animals that were being slaughtered. It's because it was the very Son of God who willingly chose to walk in submission to God the Father to lay down his life, to shed his innocent blood. And now as a result of what God has done, we can know beyond a shadow of a doubt, God's promises are true. Will we respond to God's covenant invitation to walk in loving obedience with him? I pray that we do. And I invite you to do so today, whether it's the first time or to renew it again. In fact, our prayer team is going to be available in the front after the service. We would invite you to come. We'd love to minister to you and pray with you. Let's pray together this morning. Oh, good and gracious God, thank you for this picture and for the understanding of your covenants with humanity throughout the ages. And that you are still a God of covenant. That you've sealed it with the blood of Jesus Christ. And so we thank you for your faithfulness to Abraham. For the lessons learned from his life. And oh God, we thank you for your faithfulness to us. We pray this morning that you would be our shield. That no attack from the enemy would pierce us. We are safe in you. We also thank you, Lord, that you are our very great reward. And so would you help us, Lord, to hold the things of the world very loosely. To cling to you and your great mercy. As we walk in newness, in freedom, sharing the life-giving power of Jesus with the world. We long to see your kingdom grow, the gospel go forth, lives transformed by what you've done. Lord, we pray that you would accomplish this according to your will and by your might. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen.